0: It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC.
1: See, we take you back to your roots. Anthony Weiner, when you represented Forest Hills, little did you realize the first heavy metal group came out of Forest Hills. I think his name was Leslie Weinstein or Westine or something like that. He truncated it to Leslie West. Felix Capelliardi, Corky Lang on drugs, on drums. Here it is. We had Mountain they're, they were on the stage of Woodstock, and this began heavy metal. A lot of people don't realize that, but I have a feeling that you, Anthony Weiner, were not a heavy metal head.
2: That is not that's not Tyler true. A lot of Led Zeppelin. Oh, okay, good. A lot of Who, which is obviously not the same. Good. But did listen a lot. Of, there was a brief moment I was into
1: Rush. Ooh. For a brief moment. Ooh, Rush Limbaugh! Wow, I didn't think I didn't take <laughs> yeah. you to be a Rush fan. No, that's
2: that's right. I would I would get Bo Snortley to send me over
1: some records by Neil Peart.
2: <laughs> but um, hey, let me ask you: Have you seen any concerts at the stadium in Forest Hills? Because I haven't.
1: Uh, I've passed by when they've been in concert.
2: You know, because I remember when it was proposed when I was still in Congress at the time, and I lived in Forest Hills Gardens. I'm like. Never, ever, ever be able to make this into a concert venue. And there was a big fight about whether that would ever happen. Now, I guess the controversy is over. I guess it's happening now.
1: Well, you see, I I date you since uh, I'm much older than you, Anthony Weiner. This
2: has been made very obvious, yes. And
1: I go back to when the Forest Hills Tennis Stadium was actually used, where they played the U.S. Open matches. And then they would have concerts then. And probably the most famous concert they ever had was headlining were the Monkees. Now, the Monkees, believe it or not, were the number one group in America, more popular than the Beatles, who were, like, planning to come over, the Rolling Stones, Uh, Jay Black and the Americans. They were number one. They had their Saturday morning show. The opening act was Jimi Hendrix. The place was packed. They booed Jimi Hendrix off the stage. Uh, Till the day he died, he used to curse the Monkees. Because imagine how humiliating he get into that guitar riff, yeah. and the audience would, boo boo. We want Mickey Jones. Boo, 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 boo. I mean, that, it was a great venue then, and for a smaller concert, it's perfect. It's outdoors. I don't think the uh, residents in the nearby area appreciate the decibel level. But the last one, I was walking uh, back to visit my two youngest sons who live in the area, and I remember it was the Who Dat Who Dat Who Dat Nation guy with all of his gold teeth, his tats all over from New Orleans, who ended up going to Rikers Island, doing about seven months in uh, Punk City and crying. He was crying. He wrote in his memoir, says see guess, say, none of you here know that. None, none, who that? nation? Just got banned from the UK. They won't let him come over there because he's a hardcore criminal. Look at it. None of them know that in the studio. None of you hipsters are millennials.
2: Well, what, by the way, I'd hate to, to ground this back in where we started, but you remember... When they had the U.S. Open there, it was not the size of the event that we think of today. Um, in, but in 1977, the year, the last year they were there, I did go to the Open with my dad. But, you know, you'd get off of the train and basically walk into the gardens. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the production that it is today. And you had to uh,
1: have your membership in the club.
2: I don't think you did. But uh, Guillermo Vilas, if you're wondering, was the singles winner
1: that year. You do realize that- left-handed. Before you started uh, migrating in to Forest Hills <laughs> yes. and the Gardens, yes, uh, you were prevented yes. from living this there. This is true. We must keep the Jewish people out of here. The yes. wasps ruled that right, area. Exactly. Exactly. People don't realize, right? They say, wow, the Jews are so powerful. Uh, they control so much. They live in such an ostentatious, wealthy way. Well, there was a time I walked through Forest Hills and the Gardens and I'm looking around and I say, they were not permitted to live here. They couldn't rent. They couldn't own property here. They were persona non grata.
2: Yeah, they had restrictive covenants. That's right. But, you know, the thing about Forest Hills Gardens, and you know this because you're you're links to Forest Hills, you know, Forest Hills Gardens has all of its own street rules and parking regulations because it predated the creation of the unified city of New York. Um, and so the entire gardens was governed by a a covenant that that was restricted from Jews and then it, I I I got to look up when when it finally ended but yeah that was that was the thing which is why I was denied the right to play at the US Open in 77 myself otherwise I think I would have won it
1: yes of course Anthony much uh uh Perrier with a twist of line please <laughs> uh, keep uh, keep Anthony Weiner out of the club please <laughs> exactly. but anyway Speaking of the club, uh, it's a very small club of presidents of the United States who have served, both in Washington and actually wherever their secondary homes uh, were or their summer homes. And the lead story today, Barton, is the fact that uh, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, was with his entourage of Secret Service agents. They were on their uh, 10-speed bicycles, their Cannondales, their Raleigh's, whatever they were, uh, riding his uh, beachfront property. And he was going uh, for a bicycle ride, and everything was going well. He was about to stop. And, in fact, he did make a stop to get off the bike. And then he just keeled over, Anthony. So it wasn't like he was riding, and then, like, remember Bush 43, riding, you know, like Speed Racer, and then he falls off, and he tumbles, and he cuts his lip and his head and his knees, and then he gets back up on the bike, and he keeps going around Crawford, Texas. He plopped down, and actually, people assumed the worst. Thankfully, he was able to get up. But that is not good optics. When your, pres- when your president is flailing about, like Gerald Ford, who inherited the presidency from Richard Nixon, who decided to flee before he got impeached. You remember, the media now just starts hammering you on every little faux pas. It's sort of like, you stepped here, you went here. And it almost becomes symbolic of the presidency, a failed president falling off a bike. The key to this is going to be: when will the late-night comedians or Saturday Night Live start doing parodies about his clumsiness?
2: Did you introduce the subject by saying the number one story, bar none, oh, is yeah. dot dot dot? Absolutely, falling off a bike.
1: Yeah, Come on, for
2: goodness, the sakes. president of the United States. All right, it's it's a it's a. Funny or it's a story. It'll be a story for well, five minutes. For goodness' sake, I,
1: I don't think. Look it's at funny.
2: what's going. Well, look what's going on in the world. Look what's going on in the world. It is not the number one story, ooh, bar none. It is. It is an interesting little thing. I think that I got to tell you, when you when things are not going well for you in politics, it, it builds on itself. When you you know you can have all of the verbal gaffes you want, you can fall off all the bikes in the world that you want. If things are going okay. By and large, it doesn't play into anything. You are right, though, that we have a narrative, putting aside the bike, you have a narrative about the Biden administration as being kind of generally incompetent. And whenever you give them meme-worthy material, it's not helpful. Um, But, you know, this is a week of the January 6th hearings. This is a day that... That that Donald Trump said that he's gonna if he's elected he's gonna pardon these people that were convicted of uh, that pled, pled guilty or were charged with sedition. There's a story when the, there's a day when when situation in Ukraine is going much much worse. We have to pick a governor soon. You know we're gonna pick the nominees for governor. This is a funny little thing, but I wouldn't. Well, I, I wouldn't would.
1: say it's funny because you don't want to see your president, especially he's older. You don't want to see him end up falling because he could get seriously injured. Secondarily. Put it under the electron microscope. Every day we have analysis of Putin, right? He's shaking. He's holding the table. He looks swollen. He has gout. He's going to die in two years. He has brain cancer, blood cancer. We don't know if any of that is true. But we love putting our international powerful leaders with nuclear weapons, the nuclear football, under the electron microscope. We did it with Bush 43. We did it with uh, Gerald Ford, who actually was an
2: athlete. Yeah, but, you know, here's what else we do. Increasingly, politicians, you know, this was a photo op. I'm like looking at the pictures. They're surrounded by a press gaggle. The press was told to come at 830 to watch the president go bike riding, to make him seem virile or whatever. Yeah, of course. And so— we increasingly see that the media sees that their job is, all right, you're going to put a nice shine on your candidate. Our job is going to be to take, the, to take that veneer off and to make and to show that you're human and whatever it is. Let's stop the cycle. You, no pun intended, don't have photo ops going out in tight shorts, going on a bicycle to show that you're not 76 or 80 or whatever you are. We know you're old. And in exchange, reporters, you know what? You, don't, you can take the Saturday morning off. We don't need a story or you shooting video of the president and may, who knows? Maybe we don't need to see Donald Trump, you know, serving cheeseburgers at a at a function in the, the White House. All of this stuff is not really that important.
1: Oh, slowly I turn, step by step. We remember the photo ops. Remember of then President Bill Clinton. Every day would leave the White House yes. with so, the uh, security with him jogging. Then he would stop at the local Mickey D's to get that Big Mac, and yeah. people said, "What's the purpose of that?"
2: But but look at it. But it started, I guess it. But probably, he looked young. He but looked, it probably started with Ronald Reagan. I mean, right? I mean, Ronald Reagan. He introduced the idea of the image of the day and yeah. the story of the day, and like putting him in places that he would benefit from. You know, um, you know they, you know, he's the guy that you know many of us feared was a a warmonger, and they so put him in these soft cuddly situations with Nancy and the like. I just think that it's so far removed for what, real, what, what Americans care about day by day. But know? I
1: think uh, the image of the president is extraordinarily important. Uh, as you know, his approval ratings are tumbling. He's down at about 30 uh, percent nationally on different issues. And it's going to be kind of hard to pull himself up before the midterm election. So uh, all the Democrats who are either running for election the first time or trying to keep their seats – really got to hunker down because they have this image of Joe Biden hovering over him. Uh, I would suggest as you pointed out, forget the photo ops. Just make sure the president gets his we- uh, his rest. He's lucid. Keep things simple. Don't don't make them complicated and just stay on the key issues that the average everyday citizens need to hear from the president. Uh, there is already less access. He he does not do a lot of Q&As with the press. I think that's important if you're trying to protect the president. You saw his wife yesterday, Jill, pull him away from the gaggle of reporters saying, Hey, we gotta get on Marine One, we're running late, blah 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 blah. But I think uh, this is what you have to do because he has so so many gaffes. Yeah, but you know the the yeah,
2: he's he's not doing well. I would argue no no incumbent we talked about this last week, no incumbent politician is gonna be doing terribly well right now. If you're in charge of stuff, you're not doing well. If anything, what Democrats are waiting for is for the Republicans to be in charge of something so we see that they don't have a plan either. They don't have an idea of what to do either. Like, what well, you know, in all the, the president doesn't get to say when someone says, and what do you do about inflation? I don't know. But these guys don't know either. But that's really kind of what's going on. Here. I'm actually getting getting my mind increasingly around the idea of how the next few months are going to play out. The Republicans do very well in the midterms. Let's assume they whatever they do very well. This notion that the midterm starts this clock where suddenly Biden starts to rehabilitate himself. Sure, he may triangulate against the, the newly empowered Republicans and maybe the Republicans will make a bunch of mistakes. Or maybe it seems increasingly likely that Donald Trump will become the nominee and that helps Biden. But, uh, you know, inflation, he doesn't really, you know, no president, but he doesn't have really have an answer. Ukraine, he's purely kind of a, watching what's going on there. The stock market is getting crushed. These are things that that kind of belie a, a, an easy answer for the president to come up with.
1: Well, the one thing I am happy to see getting crushed are uh, all those Ponzi schemers, those crypto pirates uh, who tried to convince people that the next wave of investments, the next new currency to replace the dollar, the dinar, the euros, Bitcoin, cyber currency, blockchain. Uh, I mean, it is crashing fast and furiously. This cyber currency banks are actually closing their windows saying you can't withdraw any of your money, which might indicate it is, in fact, a Ponzi scheme. No regulation. The person who created it, Anthony, and these are intelligent people putting their money into cryptocurrency, being encouraged to do so by Suarez, a Republican mayor in Miami, our mayor, Eric Adams, a Democrat in New York. The president of El Salvador has changed the currency there from the dollar to Bitcoin. That's going to become a fourth world uh, country by the time this is all said and done. And with some Japanese guy that nobody knows, like the Wizard of Oz, they have a bust of him in Bulgaria, one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And you say, "Who is this guy? Oh, we never met him. Why are you investing in a in a in a concept, a financial concept?" that you really don't know much about. And it's not regulated, and it's not
2: answerable to anybody. Well, the, here's the the puzzling thing about Bitcoin's collapse and about cryptocurrency's collapse recently, and it's collapsed, is that it was always sold as a hedge. And yet now so many people are invested in it, and there are so many funds that have a piece of it, that it is not countercyclical. It is going along with the cycle of everything else. Like, if you're going to get this thing to... Because you don't believe in the banking system or you don't believe in the reserve currencies that are already out there and you're trying to find somewhere to protect your money and this is one that's decentralized, et cetera. Well, it certainly is not performing that way. We've, I, in many ways, it's a victim of its own success that when, when, the, when, when regular currencies sneeze, Bitcoin, Bitcoin catches cold. It's, it's even worse off. Now, I still believe in the blockchain and the technology, and I still believe that there's a role for some cryptocurrencies, but they had also gotten ridiculous. They had been, you know, Dogecoins and these different things that, that really were not carefully thought out. Bitcoin is probably the most stable of them, and they're getting hammered. But you look at a lot of the, these, these companies that we celebrated, a lot of them, you're right, the underpinnings of it were that they were going to get a piece of transactions based on the value of the transactions. Well, if the underlying currency crashes then your business model crashes also. It doesn't have the same – So to some degree, if the dollar crashes, Chase Bank still does fine because they're hedged in different ways and they have different – they have different – the different financial products that they sell. But it's I, – I don't – I think there was too much hype around it, but I think it might be a little bit like the, the internet crash of the, the bubble of 2000. That, yes. Dot-com. Dot the dot-com dot com, bubble. Yes. I think that a lot of wealth is going to get wiped out. A lot of companies are going to go bye bye. But at the end of it, you still have the Amazons. You still have the the Facebooks. You're going to have some surviving companies that use the technology. And I think when it comes to Bitcoin and when it when it comes to cryptocurrencies and when it comes to the blockchain, it's still going to have some value. But I wouldn't invest my money in
1: it. Well, uh, the mayor has invested uh, his uh, capital in it as as the mayor, the Republican mayor of Miami Suarez. But well, when we come back, i got to give you a report from the front down in the bowels of the city of New York to Subway's. Where the transit cops are not happy. I'm telling you, Anthony, they're not happy, as they've been told. From now on, they have to patrol the subways on their own. They've, I- been, they've been told, you're on your own. Talk
2: about being on your own. I want to hear how uh, Andrew Giuliani did on his own off in the corner of the debate this week, also. We'll talk about that, too.
1: Oh, absolutely. Left versus right. If you missed any portion of it, Anthony Weiner, solo, two to three, and then yours truly with Anthony, three to four. Just go to WABCRadio.com for all your great podcasts here from the hosts and hostesses of the number one news talk station in the nation.
2: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands.
0: talk radio 77 wabc it's the left versus the right in the right corner it's heavyweight king curtis lewa in the left corner it's anthony Weiner. it's a 77 wabc debate heavyweight slugfest hmm there you go
1: Did he say Tom Sawyer? Did I get that Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer? Am I right on that, Anthony Weiner? Did I decipher that correctly? That's the reference. I got to see where this goes. Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn. I remember getting out on a raft in Jamaica Bay and going out to the Canarsie Pole. No, it has nothing to do with Polish people or politicians. The little islands that dot out there because we thought... There was hidden treasure there from Blackbeard the Pirate. That was always the thought. But anyway, I digress. Uh, As you know, my favorite place to be is the subways. I live in the subways. I thrive in the subways. And Anthony Weiner yesterday, I couldn't quite understand how this came about. The mayor uh, was allocating monies to gay and lesbian, transgender organizations, about $7 million of city funds. And uh, towards the end of the press availability, one of the reporters brought up, hey, I understand that you have a new initiative in the subway system uh, for the transit police solo patrols, which came as a surprise to everybody. And then he um, went on and ele- elaborated on his plan, although he blamed the police commissioner <laughs> Sewell. Yeah, "Well, that's her her plan. But really, it's his plan. And he announced it in the strangest of locations on the circumstances that, let's face it, uh, didn't give you a lot of opportunity to explain it. Nobody seemed to see it coming. Certainly the transit police didn't. The unions didn't. The NYP didn't. And uh, when I was down in the subways earlier, a lot of the cops have been told, you're going to patrol by yourself now. You might be assigned to a station. you might be assigned. Maybe you'll have a partner at 34th Street. Herald Square, 42nd Street, the larger stations. But basically, you're on your own from the time you report to duty, uh, you're in uniform uh, as a transit police officer. You're on your own for eight hours. And uh, they're not happy campers. And I'll tell you why. Unlike years ago, Eric Adams refers to the time when he used to do solo patrols, which was true uh, back in the 80s and 90s. Well, you didn't have the emotionally disturbed persons that you have now in the subways who – they don't care. You know, you see they're throwing people in the tracks every day. They're acting up. You saw the guy who was uh, sitting in the tracks there at Washington uh, Square uh, on the uh, A, C, and E train the other day, West 4th Street, for an hour, uh, having a psychotic episode. They couldn't get him out of the tracks Unfortunately, these um, emotionally disturbed people are everywhere. And they will fight because they have psychotic episodes. I don't know how a police officer on their own deals with that situation when all of a sudden they have already been told there are certain places on the body you cannot touch a suspect. The rules have been changed. They're a lot differently than they were before the summer of 2020. So now what do you do when you're a cop on your own? And you have a group that's rowdy, uh, that is uh, not following what you're asking them to do. Like, for instance, pay your fare and they're resisting you. There's going to be attacks. There's going to be fights. And I have a feeling that from what I saw this morning, the police are going to disobey the command from uh, the mayor and the police commissioner, Seawell and continue to patrol uh, as two, three, four or more. You're going to see. Uh, outright protest, uh, like you saw with New Jersey Transit, where they said, oh, you're not giving us extra pay for Juneteenth on Monday, so we're not driving the trains. And there were no trains on New Jersey Transit last night. I think you're going you're gonna to find almost like a blue flu kind of uh, way of dealing with this. And it couldn't have come at a worse time. I, I just don't understand this mayor's timing.
2: Well, we have 35,000 or so cops. You know, this increases the amount of, stations that they can patrol. I mean, how can you say this is the obvious solution when you have a certain number of cops? I think there should be more cops past a budget that didn't increase the headcount at all. Not one.
1: Not one cop. Yeah. Not one correctional officer. Yeah.
2: There was a protest on the left about this budget. I think you could have easily made a protest that on law enforcement and criminal justice it didn't do enough. But this is a reasonable thing. It's the way we used to do it. It's the way other cities do it all the time. You know, your, your hypothetical that you laid out raises some interesting questions. Someone climbs on the tracks an EDP, an emotionally disturbed person climbs on the tracks at West 4th. Yeah, I would not try to deal with that situation as a single officer. I would argue it's not even a police officer that should be the first call, that we should have some kind of crew that comes in that has some specialty in dealing with crazy people. That, you know, cops cops are good at arresting people and good at enforcing order, but dealing with EDPs. I know,
1: I know they say that, but they haven't created the mechanism for no, that. No, I, I get that. I get so that. it's but, still but, the cops who's going to be the first no, one No, the there.
2: circumstance is going to be the same. The guy is going to radio in, first of all, stop the trains. There's someone on the track, and I need backup
1: here. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, quality of life situations that the mayor and police commissioner have said must be cracked down in the subway. Somebody smoking a blunt, somebody urinating, somebody defecating. All of these things take place on a regular basis in the subway. Uh, What happens if all of a sudden they resist, which many of them do? They basically tell you to go F off, uh, mind your own business. What are you going to do, arrest me? I don't, look, I don't think,
2: I think that that there are risks in being a police officer. I think that police officers are very good at New York City and dealing with those situations you could have two guys can get overrun as well you you know you if you're if you're you're standing on 125th street and 50 guys go come by in motorcycles and and scooters and start to maraud down the street two guys aren't going to be able to handle that either i, I it's a matter of deterrence 99 percent of what police officers do is deter crime once the crime has been committed and the arrest has started all right there we already have a victim that that cat's already out of the bag. Sure, you want to catch that guy, arrest him, and throw him in jail. But really what we need police around to do and what they spend most of their day doing is deterring crime, a visible presence. We had a conversation on John Cantopanillo's show a couple of weeks ago where someone called in and said, how many cops would be required to patrol every single platform? And well, I didn't even do the math right because I figured one cop per platform. And, and then, no, if you're saying you got to have two, you cut it in half. It's just, look, more is better than— Fewer, but we have a limit, and we have crime going on all over the city. I was describing off the air last night. I took a train from Union Square and got off. Took the Q, took the L to the Q, got off the Q, and took it up to Broadway to Seventh Avenue and 59th Street. At both of those stations, high profile stations, swarming with police officers. I saw at least three sergeants, at least two sergeants at Fourteenth Street, at least one supervisor on on, on the Fifty Seventh Street side. Oh, now those are two high profile. Spots, the first thing that you said when I mentioned this says, yeah, but what about the boroughs? What about the less sexy spots? Well, that's what happens when you stack up a lot of officers. Well, that's so what think-
1: happens when you don't have enough cops. You're down to 34,500. Danger, danger. This mayor does not want to hire any more cops. Remember, he had an opportunity when he won the primary. Remember, the first thing he was asked to do by President Joe Biden is represent New York City, come to that summit where the president was willing to allocate some of the stimulus dollars to cities that were under siege, high crime. He said, as long as you use it to hire, vet, train police officers, you can use a a portion of it. de Blasio had said no twice. So here was Eric Adams representing the city as the Brooklyn Borough president, obviously as the expected mayoral winner uh, in the general election, And he said no, too. So why are you saying no to the president of the United States who wants to give you money to hire cops? Well, listen,
2: I, I, you know, Chuck was the original sponsor when it had to be reauthorized. I was the sponsor in Washington of the cops program to say, listen, this is not just crime was a national issue. Federal government had never been involved before. We started paying a portion of the salaries of police officers all in the city. The number one beneficiary was New York City. I made it a big part of my campaign that, look, I think. You know, Joe Borelli was on with with me on the middle last week, and he said he got a couple hundred bucks for every homeowner, a property tax break. I think if you went to most of those property owners, to most of the taxpayers in the city of New York, would you throw a few extra bucks in if to hire a whole bunch of new cops?
1: Uh, you, mean, I- you mean before they leave to Florida, Georgia, North <laughs> Carolina? <laughs> yeah, listen. They- this is the better plan. Uh, just hear me for one second. And I use this all throughout the campaign. It's something that Andrew Yang said, although he didn't specify where the money should go. Uh, Jimmy Doe in Madison Square Garden pays no property taxes. Columbia, NYU, no property taxes. You said safe city, safe streets, round two. They desperately need it. Just apply the money you collect from them to hire and train police officers. It costs $100,000 to hire a vet and train a police officer and graduate them from the academy at College Point. Uh, That's a lot of investment from the uh, taxpayers to only see those cops get recruited away two years later by other police departments who are actively recruiting in the city or for cops uh, who could serve longer to decide to take early retirement or retirement at 20 years and then leave. And then we have a dearth of experienced cops. So it's like endless. And I think Eric Adams must make a Custer's last stand on this issue and say we need to hire cops. He won't say that.
2: Well, I, I think that he dodged a bullet this, this week with the budget. That all of the controversy was around these seven folks on the left not voting for it and getting shut out of programs as a result. I talked about it on my program at the, at the top of the two o'clock hour. The real mystery to me is how I think the mayor kind of got rolled a little bit. I think, you know, he said that there was no way it was a non starter the cops for corrections and the, uh, the officers, the additional five, 576 officers for correction and the additional cop money. Are we really that city? Is this legislature so far in that camp that even when crime is—you can't even make a deal? Okay, give me 10,000 more cops, and I will give you 10,000 new mental health workers, something like that? I, I think it was a disappointing budget. It's really hard to point to what it is is doing criminal justice, and they're saying summer jobs. That's great. Don't get me wrong. It's a great—it probably does reduce crime to have summer jobs for kids, but— I do believe you need to hire some police officers. A little bit about your tax plan. Do you know why there's no tax on MSG?
1: Yeah, because it was uh, grandfathered in because Koch was worried that Madison Square Garden might leave uh, to the Meadowlands. Look how that worked out for the do Nets. Do you know what
2: other NHL team pl- pays property tax?
1: The answer is none. What
2: other NBA team plays property tax? It's none. Whenever they do these packages to build these stadiums, they waive. They don't. They don't charge. It's what the locality winds up putting in. So they're in a unique position as it relates to other people in their field. Now, will they move? Pro- <laughs> probably, Good. probably. Probably not. I do believe that they should pay tax, but that's their argument. When, when
1: was the last time we had Stanley Cup, right? Messier. Oh, it's was Rudy. I mean, Rudy just became a messier raising the cup. When's the last time the Knicks hung a banner as the uh, NBA champions, right? Hey, Jimmy Dolan. Take your Knicks and Rangers and leave. Where are you going to go? Where is he going to go?
2: Here's the thing. So there was a lockout slash strike in the NHL, and I want to say it was in 97 or something like that. I don't remember when exactly. It was actually earlier than that. And I found the agreement, the actual agreement with Madison Square Garden Hmm. that waived their taxes. And language said that the NHL, the Rangers and Knicks, had to play consistently all of their games in Madison Square Garden to be eligible for it and they weren't. Now, there was a lockout. Since it wasn't a strike, it was a lockout. It was them that made the decision not to have the games there. And I screamed bloody hell. And so who did they send to talk to me? Mark Messier, because they knew I was occupied. Oh, they said Mark, Mark Messier. Messi. Did they
1: send Gretzky? Oh, with, my um, God.
2: It was so great. It was uh, so great. It was my moment. My, my greatest moment as a city councilman was having a meeting on my schedule no, with Mark Messier. You sold
1: out. You sold out to talk to Mark <laughs> Messier. Anyway, up next... Let's go through the debates. The Democrats uh, for governor had their final debate. And the GOP4 have a debate Monday on New York One. And then the final one, Newsmax, in Rochester on Tuesday, right here on WABC, your place to be.
0: If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner.
1: Oh, the monkeys. Yep. That's right. Imagine. In Forest Hill Stadium. They were the number one group in America at that time. basically, uh, Spinal Tap. They were Spinal Tap before they were Spinal Tap. Well, they were on TV at the time with a show, right? Yeah, yeah, every Saturday. But the point is, is they were just put together by L.A. producers who said, let's get the Brit here, lead singer. They, you know, they just threw them all together. They were Menudo before Menudo. Exactly. Exactly. And Jimi Hendrix was the opening act for them and got booed off the stage. How degrading. He never <laughs> forgot that. and always disparaged them. Well, anyway... From the concerts in Forest uh, Hills that have been uh, revived to uh, the uh, performances on the big stage uh, for the Democrats and the Republicans leading to their primary for the gubernatorial slot. I, I have an idea for this. Why don't you give your
2: review of the Democrats and I'll give my review of the Republicans.
1: Okay. All right. So I had an opportunity to watch both debates. The first one was a bore. It's sort of like, hey, guys, you're so far behind in the polls. Open up. You know, Hochul is so vulnerable in so many things that she's done, and it was gloves off. Now in this final debate on NBC with the fly buzzing around, which was uh, disturbing Swazi. Maybe it was the same fly from uh, Pence's debate against Harris during the presidential campaign. Uh, Swazi understood it was do or die. He had to go at Hochul. And Hokel just was not going to pay any attention to him. Jumani was way too nice. I mean, here it is. His agenda is totally opposite Hochul. He almost beat Hokel when he was running for lieutenant governor when she was Cuomo's running mate. And it's sort of like, really? That's, that's the best of what you have? So Swazi really took it to her. And Hokel I, I didn't think, had uh, the appropriate answers. I'm, I'm a little upset with the moderators because here's Hochul, right? She was Annie Oakley, Miss NRA. Uh, When she was the uh, Erie County clerk, she said, if illegal aliens come here to sign up for their driver's licenses, I'm asking ICE to arrest them and have a retainer on the spot. It's as if all of a sudden this was all forgotten. You know, and I'm saying to myself, you got to bring this out. Let the voters make these determinations. And probably the worst thing, it's what my primary beef is. In 30 seconds, in 30 seconds, explain what you would do. It is totally impossible in 30 seconds to deal with any of these complicated issues. And what they got to do is discard these debates, have them in a room, sit down, discussions, one issue for that hour. One issue, have discussions back and forth. Let them go at one another. Get these moderators out of there. And let's have a good old-fashioned discussion and debate, and then the voters have an opportunity to sort things out themselves. I, I could not agree with
2: you more on your last point. I think that these formats are so stilted. They're much more about the performances of the moderators than anything else. Remember, we put the – the moderators are people who are in media. They like that they're there. They like that other reporters are watching them to see how they're, they're going to do. They love reading the tweets about how they ask that question. I think if you not only limit – you take away these time limits – But you also sit the candidates down so they have to face each other much more like a conversation would be. And then the moderator makes it clear that I'm going to kind of stay out of this unless you guys start talking over each other. Because the one thing viewers don't like it. Remember how badly Donald Trump did when he was talking over Joe Biden? Didn't matter what he was saying, it viscerally got people the wrong way. I agree with you. I think that you I think I have to say I think your take was largely correct. I think that that Swazi tried to keep. Laying a glove on her in terms of being a hypocrite on the NRA and other things, it never really worked. I don't think that's a particularly effective attack when someone represents a local area and then they expand and run for the state. I think people understand, yeah, you're representing a different community right now. I think Swazi did, from my eyes, very well in that first debate of introducing himself. But And there was this awkwardness to – to I don't know Kathy Holker very well – this awkwardness that the way she kept staring straight ahead with almost kind of this plasticine look on her well, face like she wasn't who really. Did
1: she, who did she learn that from? Eric Adams. Remember Eric Adams in all his debates just focused, right. looked straight, but would never make eye contact. Right, but that's
2: a little bit different. I'm saying that she looked stiff. I mean, this Eric Adams would smirk. He would smile. He would wave his arms a little bit. As far as Jumani, I don't think you understand. He knows he's not going to win. I think he wants to to live and fight another day. I think that he's emerged in all these debates. People have kind of found him likable because no one bothers hitting him. He's not hitting the
1: candidate that people like and people are like. Let me ask (laughs) you this. The hypocrisy of Jumani Williams. It is now a well-known fact that every night he goes home to Fort Hamilton, the active garrison, the military base where he lives. He has a wife. He shares a living space. Out of all the places you can live. Fort Hamilton, the garrison in the shadow of the Verrazano Bridge, Diker Heights, where you have to show your ID every time you go through the entrance to the military police. He doesn't want people showing ID to anybody. Not one reporter said Don't you think that's somewhat hypocritical out of all the places you could live in the five boroughs Meaning of the city he of New should,
2: York? he should because he advocates for poor people. He should not live in a place that's privileged. Is that the idea? Not only privileged, it's the safest place in all of New York City. Right. So he shouldn't advocate for people who live in high crime areas? Why?
1: Well, number one, he has a police entourage. He wants to defund the police. Tell him, give up the police who are assigned to me 24 hours. Give up the taxpayer SUV that's driven by a police officer. I mean, don't you see the hypocrisy in this? Well, it it, needs to be brought out. uh, I don't know. I mean,
2: let's take the first thing. His living situation, I think they think someone that's very wealthy, someone that lives in a fancy place can still advocate for people that don't have housing. I think that's not hypocrisy. I think you can do that. I don't think that's inconsistent. I think Mike Bloomberg did care about people that didn't have money just because he was a billionaire. As far as the I don't know his position. If he's ever said he didn't say defund the police in any debate that I watched.
0: Oh, he he believes
1: in defunding the
2: police. He believes that you know we had this conversation about AOC's position on this. Believing that you should have cuts in the police department, increases and in other things, is not a mortal sin in my view. And if if the intelligence division believes that he's under threat, I don't mind him having. A security detail. Why are you so concerned about Jamani Williams? He's not going to be your ma- or your governor. Yeah, I understand. But it's like the right. media has
1: gloves off. They're, yes. Something uh, that is – so, and you know why? But, you know why gloves off? Because he's not going to win. No, because okay. he's black. If that were a white candidate living in Fort it. Hamilton in the garrison, that candidate would be hammered. Don't
2: buy it. I tell you this. If he was leading by 15 points, having the policies he has now, which really scare the status quo and everything else, yes, they'd come after him then. Look, when you are third in the polls getting 4% or 5%, you don't get that kind of coverage. No one cares that much about you. All right, I'm going to do the Republicans now. Go for it. So, very impressed with your guy, Andrew Giuliani. I came in thinking, how is this going to work out because he's off? I think in a weird way, he benefited from being off stage, but he benefited from something else even more. And that is that Wilson and uh, Zeldin were going at each other like, cats and dogs. I always tell people, if you want to know who's winning the race, look at who's getting attacked. And the fact that Zeldin, from the word go, was hitting Wilson, tells me that not only am I seeing him on the Met game three times, you know, as he's advertising, not only is he advertising on WABC, he apparently is making some moves, or at least he's who Zeldin really worries about. And I, I also think that Zeldin fundamentally broke one of the cardinal rules of debating. And that is act like you're doing – act like you're fine. He acted like a guy who was pissed off. He acted like a guy who was frustrated about the attacks. He got very kind of beefy and chippy. And then when Andrew would chime in with his kind of boys play nice kind of thing, it elevated Andrew. Sure. So I think, I think that Wilson came away looking like he was really ready. The other thing that I, I think it was important to, to remember, Astorino and Wilson, you know this – There's no experience that prepares you more for running than running. Being a candidate, you get better at it. You get used to the rhythm. You get used to the attack. You get used to the debate rhythm. You get used to, like, getting under guy's skin. You get used to saying something without saying it. Astorino and Wilson, surprisingly, who had run before, seem much more comfortable um, than than Zeldin did. Now, I don't know anything about the numbers, anything about the data. And the one other thing I would say is this, is that – I don't think that it it didn't look bad on TV that Andrew was in a in a different place, because if you think about it, the 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 long shot of the four of them is a fairly rare cut when you do the debate. For the most part, he looked on the screen the same way that the other guys did. Um, And I thought there was one exchange or two exchanges, actually, where Marsha Kramer wouldn't let Andrew um, make his points that Andrew realized people might not like politicians, but they don't like reporters even less. And he pushed back and said, Marcia, something to the effect of Marsha, this is the problem right here that you won't let me get my word. So I think that he did very well. Now, based on the fact that no one else was touching him at all, makes me think he's not winning. But um, I thought Zeldin, I I didn't, again, I didn't watch this stuff as carefully as you do. I thought Zeldin came away as the loser and Wilson and Andrew came away as Go and give me
1: some uh, back uh, clubhouse information. Uh, Many of us are giving advice to um, Andrew Giuliani, not too much. You never want to give anybody going into a debate too much advice. But we knew Marsha Kramer would go at him. Just that's her nature. Right. And so he was prepared for that. And he he dueled her in a nice way without being over the top. Number two, we knew that the three of them would not attack Andrew Giuliani. We just knew that because he's the Trump candidate. You don't want to be seen attacking the pure Trump candidate, because Wilson won't uh, profess to support Trump. Asterino is half and half. And uh, Zeldin goes back and forth on the Trump issue. And let's face it, you're going to have very poor turnout for both the Democrats and Republicans in the primary. And the most passionate are going to be those that support Donald Trump. Andrew's goal is to get him out. Now, look at this debate coming up in New York One on Monday. Pat Cannon, who is the host of The Morning Show, has uh, Andrew Giuliani in studio a month ago. Andrew fills out the paperwork. I'm not vaccinated. New York One Spectrum admits that he did that. Then they tell him, you can't be in the studio. And he, Wait, I was just Oh, saying- they're not
2: letting him in for the debate? No, no. After they had him in previously?
1: Exactly. And you How say do they yourself- explain that? What's their... Well, they don't. They, they say they, they screwed broke, up last We broke time. our own rules. Hey, excuse me. Did anybody get sick? Did anybody uh, all of a sudden come down with COVID-19? So, again, it's appearing to Republicans that this is anti-Giuliani. The final debate will be in Rochester. Newsmax has rented this huge facility. They're going to pack it with supporters. And guess what? Andrew Giuliani will finally be on the stage. But you're right about Zeldin. I had a chance to see all three of the teams come in because I walked right into the green room, which I wasn't supposed to be there. (laughs) And they all know me. It was very affable. But I could see Astorino Wilson were cool, calm, and collected with their families, their entourage. Zeldin, he was too hot. He was like a fighter who's sweating before he even gets in the ring. He was like ready to go for the jugular. And I said to myself, this guy is going to lose his cool right out of the box. He attacked Wilson. He attacked Rolex, Rob. Nobody knows what he was talking I, about. I had
2: no idea what that was. A right, to. you
1: say that to a Republican. Republicans are not opposed to people having Rolexes. It's sort of like he just, he lost his stride, and I think he really hurt himself. I would say right now, Andrew and uh, Zeldin are in the first tier. Uh, Astorino and Wilson are in the second tier, but Wilson has just doubled the amount of money. I think he took that debate to seriously. He's, like, letting the B-52s go until the following Tuesday. So
2: here's what I think. I think that Andrew hasn't raised enough money to do some good polling, but both Zeldin and Wilson have been spending, and they have done some good polling, and they know that Wilson's a problem for Zeldin. There's no way that Zeldin attacks like that unless they told him something. They, they, have, they have shown him numbers that show that he's got problems. But the other thing I would say about the, the, the Zeldin thing, Zeldin, as if I was a supporter of his, and he's been leading in the polls, I would look at that debate and be like, why is he so freaked out? He's like, he doesn't look, he looks too, you know, it doesn't, he didn't look, he didn't carry himself like a winner. No. You know, he didn't carry himself like, I'm poised, I'm ready, I'm okay, everything's going to be fine. Whatever you think about Kathy Hochul, she was constantly kind of dusting herself well, off saying, I'm not going to get you it." You may well.
1: remember, I reminded Andrew, there was a debate years ago, Al Sharpton versus Geraldine Ferraro versus Liz Holtzman, who's running now the 10th CD, and Bobby Abrams he stayed out of it they left him alone he looked like Sharp, a million Sharpton bucks was
2: the adult yep for
1: that, sure right that was the strategy and it worked anyway up next it's father's day tomorrow uh, i know your father was very influential with you so was mine let's reminisce because it's so important to so many people's lives their fathers their grandfathers their great-grandfathers right here on WABC
0: Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight Slugfest.
1: Isn't he on the no-fly list? Cat Stevens? Abdullah Salaam, whatever his new name is. You know, he agreed with the Fatwa. It's a shame.
2: It's a shame because, you know, this is one of those, do you like the artist or you like the art? I can't stand the artist, but I do kind of like his stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, no doubt. But remember, he sided with the Ayatollah and Salman Rushdie. The worst. How'd you pick this one? Out of all the... Anyway, let's get to Father's Day. I remember you telling the story on these very airwaves. You were trying to get into a specialty high school. And it was your father who was driving you from school to school so that you had an opportunity to get in. As important as your mother was in your life, obviously, your father proved that when all the chips were on the line, he had your back. So
2: here's the thing. So at the Wiener dinner table, it was not, we did not talk about politics per se. We weren't like a political household. We were not the Kennedy's. But when I go back and I think about well, what are the influences that got me into politics? There was this really heavy emphasis on critical thinking. In that, very often people would say, "Ah, I don't agree with that." Here's, here's something you said. You know, pass past the eggs. Oh yeah, yeah, you want eggs? Yeah, I know you couldn't even spell egg. You know, I all this. <laughs> so there was a lot of that kind of jousting that took place at, at our at our table. And my dad. He was an interesting kind of attorney in that he hung a shingle literally outside our house. On, like on We had one of those gas-powered—they're um, actually not around the gas-powered ones anymore. They used to be kind of right in front of the brownstones, these sure. little gas lamps. Sure. And he hung a—and a, he was—you know, there started to be this, this, this trend towards low-fee, low, uh, low fee Jacobian Meyer-style attorneys, and then there were the white-shoe guys. And in between, the neighborhood guy that would do the closing, do sure. the divorce, yep. you know, if you had a thing, a uh, in whatever it is. Um, so he had that kind of a law for him. him and Lenny Grau, who lived on, over on, uh, I guess, Argyle Road. So, yeah, he, he, and when that moment came that I had to go to high school and I w- was told I was going to get into Stuyvesant if I went to summer school and then they wouldn't let me in, he's driving around and, you know, adjudicating with a small A on it. And, uh, yeah, it's a, a remarkably. A, we had a great, we had a great life, kind of growing up, this great kind of middle class class life, and um, and my mom, the school teacher, and he, they aren't together anymore. But you know, it's it's hard to think. Of, it's it's easy to see that I would not be here if we're not for them. And my son, my son Jordan, loves my grandfather, loves him just like you know. You know, I'm I'm sometimes not thrilled about going, <laughs> and he's like, let's let's pack up and go there, and. uh and so, yet to tomorrow, his day. I, 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 he's listening, so I can't tell him. But I, I, you know, uh, I think my brother Jason and I are going to be visiting. What about you? What are what you? Well, heard, my sorry?
1: father, unfortunately, is no longer with us. Uh, he was a merchant seaman for fifty-four years, hardcore. He raised me when he would be at home four months of the year, eight months he'd be out at sea, earning a living to support the three of us, including my mother. And he raised me on rules for radicals, Saul Alinsky. He came out of Chicago. He was an organizer. He hated the rich. Uh, He told me all the time. What kind of name is Sliwa? Uh, Polish. Uh Sliwa. It means plum, but I'm with Ukrainians and Russians. It also means plum. And Chaldeans, who are the Christians in Iraq, they think I'm Chaldean. I'm not. But the point was hardcore, blue-collar, working class, and he in- introduced me, probably the greatest thing I'll ever remember about my father is when he would be home for four months, he'd be home four straight months, he would take me down to the Bowery, which was Skid Row back then, at the uh, Salvation Army, uh, you know, soup kitchens, uh, it was where you had the flop houses. He knew a lot of the men, because some of them had been former seamen. And he said to me, as some of them were languishing about, alcoholics, uh, emotionally disturbed, he said, Curtis... You never laugh at these people. You never make fun of them. There, by the grace of God, go you. And I'd see him reach into his pocket. He'd give him money. he get him a sandwich. Other people would say, what is wrong with your father? He's crazy. He's probably diseased. Oh, that's right. He's a merchant seaman. He probably has <laughs> disease anyway because that was the right, reigning right. thought. But he taught me to always look out for the little guys and little gals who don't have anybody look out for them and stand up for them. And uh, I will take that to my grave. Uh, That is the imprint that my father had into him. You are strong through the poor and impoverished. Uh, My mother obviously uh, brought me to uh, the belief that poverty brings you closer to God. Strong Roman Catholic faith from Italy. I see at the rate I'm going, uh, I'm going to be buried in a cardboard box in Potter's Field. But I tell you this, they always said to me, the both of them, they said, do good things, Curtis, and good things will come in return. Never ask when, why, or how. Just do good things. I saw them get knockers from doing that, and it just well. I got to tell me. you,
2: your grand, your father's looking down, and he's very proud. You've, you've, uh, you've made an amazing legacy for him.
1: Yeah. Well, your daddy listening right now, he's proud because let's face it, he was your role model. My dad was my role model. In addition to our mothers, we had solid household. So a lot of folks out there haven't had that. We, we've been blessed. We've been well, this blessed. This true. Happy Father's Day. I know that it's not easy to be calm when you found
0: Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply.